thanks for coming uh, this morning. And I think, you know, I'm just thinking about this, you know, uh, and of course we were kind of teasing about it, but, you know, when the, the, the ministry really is, is just coming together a lot of times. The ministry of the body, to the body, because that's how it works. And we were talking about that um, last night, how that, you know, Zoom will never replace gathering, physical gathering together as a body of believers. And we can never fall into that thinking that that would ever do that. You know, that's not how God set, sets the body up. And in fact, he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves as a matter of some is, and even more as you see that day approaching. So things happen. There's a certain dynamic that happens when the body of believers just comes together, you know? Just, just come together in love, in unity of the faith, you know, eating a meal together. Of course, we all love to eat, right? And uh, But it's good to have Greg Henry with us. And uh, most of us know here that he'll be with us uh, tomorrow night, 6.30, Friday night, 6.30, Saturday night, 6.30, at the Grace um, Place, and also Sunday morning at 10.30 o'clock. It's good to have Jim Neese with us from Ignite. Thank you. Right? Pastor, and uh, it's good to have Lee with us, and uh, it's just good to have uh, Matt Moore with us. He drove all the way from, was it Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. Just to be here. So, I'm good, thank you. Anyway, um, you know, I feel like the Lord late, we had a Zoom meeting yesterday, and the Lord, as we were ministering, I felt like uh, the Lord would be, and even last night, um, you mentioned something about, you know, we were talking about the conscience and what that is. And the thing that really stood out to me was a seed of judgment. Conscience is a seed of judgment. And it's really, it's that evil conscience that really begin to, that we begin to judge ourselves unworthy of God's love. Unworthy of God's love. And how that, that Christ really came to cleanse us from that evil conscience which no amount of law or sacrifices could ever do. But Christ came and he did that, okay? To cleanse us from that evil conscience. And so that now that we can clearly see in the face of Jesus, okay? Because as he is, so are we in this world. We can see in the, in the face of Jesus, guess what? We are, have always been worthy of God's love. God has always loved us. But I have a scripture. I just wanted to, to, to read a scripture. We're just going to let the Holy Spirit just kind of take this wherever he wants to take it, okay? Because we got, we got no structured plan, okay? Thank God. Everybody <laughs> say thank God. Amen. So John 5, uh, um, 25 through 27, is, he says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a time is coming and even now has arrived. I love that. Even now has arrived when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Wow. And those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment. He gave, the Father gave Jesus the authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. 
to me, it's just like Holy Spirit's doing flip-flops inside of me. And the reason is, is because I'm really starting to understand and uh, see what true judgment is all about. You know, because religion has taught us that judgment is always a fearful thing. It involves condemnation, punishment, all these things. Uh, but in John 7, 24, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And then we were thinking about yesterday at that Zoom. Uh, judgment must begin at the house of God. And of course, we've used that one to drive people to the altar. <laughs> but really, to me, it's, it's like I'm in a, a complete vocabulary revolution time right now. I'm le like learning a different language that's causing my heart to be persuaded in a belief that's actually bringing more life and more rest to me and just releasing more anointing in me and through me than I've ever experienced in my life. So I know it's fruit of the Holy Spirit. I know it's God. I know it's the path of right believing because of what it's manifesting. And I'm excited. Amen. I'm excited about the Word. And that's why I'm excited to have Greg here, honestly, because um, he's, bringing, he's bringing forth that Word, okay? The Word of life. The Word of the Spirit. And so that's kind of what the Lord laid on my heart about judgment, you know, and our understanding of judgment and what that really looks like. So do you have anything? Well, I mean, I always have, like, an endless supply of, <laughs> I know you do. of, of many things. Um, that would be silly for me to say, do you have anything? <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's the Gospel of John that, that you just read, and, and Jesus says, uh, for judgment. I'm coming to the earth. And like he just said, a, a vocabulary revolution. And I mentioned this last night, but the moment I say the word judgment, you guys aren't sitting around wondering what does that word mean. You guys have already thought inside of yourself what that word means. You've already decided. So you already have a definition in your heart that when I say judgment, an idea already pops up, right? So when you think of that word judgment, we've kind of been taught it in the sense of condemnation. Right? That's the definition that many of us equate when we hear the word judgment. But the word judgment just means to issue a decree, to decide a matter. Right? You, you consider a matter, and then you issue a decree about the matter. And so and it's John's gospel. And when we read Jesus say, for judgment I've come into the earth, we have to read that verse in context of John's entire gospel. Okay? Well, if you notice, John's gospel begins with what? In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. Oh, and by the Word, the Word is God, right? That's what he says. Then if you keep reading into the first chapter, he says, And the Word was made flesh, so we could behold the glory of God inside of the face of Jesus Christ, okay? So the matter Jesus entered into the earth to decide for all of us is the matter of who is God and what does God look like? And how will God be with sinners? Because we were all sinners. And we got a problem. We have our own thoughts about God. And our thoughts about God were born from our sin and not his love. That was our problem, right? It's, it's like we judge God by our sin instead of judging our sin by God's love. You see how you get it backwards? You don't judge uh, God by your sin. You judge your sin by God's love. 
right? And we got it backwards. And so we're like all sitting around the table. We have all these thoughts about God. And all of our thoughts about God had nothing to do with him being Abba. All our thoughts about God had to do with, man, that guy's accusing us. That guy's punishing us. That guy's smiting us because of our sin. That guy is serving us with death because of our sin. All of our thoughts were like that. Well, I don't know if you realize it. You ain't coming to a God like that. Neither are you seeing that guy as father. So Jesus came in the likeness of the Old Testament book, Judges. And if you notice in the Old Testament, if you read what the judges did, the judges issued a decree about God's goodness towards the people to serve them with life. And he also issued a decree that the strength in a man's hand could never serve themselves with life. You see, Gideon climb up into the high places and kick over what? The idols. Why was he kicking over the idols? Why were they in the high places? The idols were in a high place because it spoke of those people being lifted up in their hearts, trusting in their own strength as the power unto having life. And so the book of Judges show people declaring the goodness of God to serve the people with life. Right? So Jesus comes in the likeness of those judges. And he sees the people, all of us, we got certain views of God. Jesus comes into the earth for judgment. He comes to decide the matter for us once and for all about who God is and what God is and how God will be with sinners. Now, if you notice right before Jesus says, for judgment I've come into the earth, if you notice right in the context of that whole thing, you have the instance with the woman caught in the act of adultery. There's Jesus. Well, the Pharisees, who are sitting in the seat of Moses, they throw the woman caught in the act of adultery on the ground at the feet of Jesus. And they did that on the last day of the great feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacle. And they were actually inside the temple when they did that. Now, they said, Moses says, such should be stoned. And when they say, when a Jewish, a good Jewish Pharisee says, Moses says, such should be stoned. Moses was a prophet. And so what they're saying is, God demands that this woman be stoned. Well, there's an interesting dynamic going on, don't you know? Because God's standing there now. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God put on flesh so He could tabernacle with us, and we could see Him for who He really was, and His name could be sanctified in our hearts as Father. Right? Because that's how you're going to inherit eternal life. It says, by seeing God as Father, by saying, Abba, just like Jesus did on the cross, Abba. Right? And so for judgment, Jesus entered the earth, and he was demonstrating that judgment in the account with the woman caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees said, God demands that this woman be stoned. Well, Jesus is God. And he gets down on the ground and uses his finger and writes on the stone in the middle of the temple. What was the law written by? The finger of God. Well, the Pharisees were trying to tell Jesus the law says that God condemns sinners. Well, Jesus is God. You presume to tell me what the law says? I am God. I wrote the law with my finger. And the law never said that God's the one that serves people with, with death. God's not the one who serves sinners with death. The law says that trusting in the works of your own hands for life will serve you with death. You want to know how God will be with the sinner when he comes upon a sinner? For judgment I've entered into the earth to issue a decree about who God is and how he will be with sinners. And then he comes and stands next to the woman caught in the act of adultery. And what does he do? He removes the accusation. And there was a sentence of death hanging over her head. 
And he didn't just remove the accusation. He removed the sentence of death. And you guys think God's the one accusing you because of your sin. Just like Adam thought God had uncovered his nakedness and God come and said, who told you you were naked, Adam? Was it me? Who come and uncovered your nakedness? For judgment, Jesus entered into the earth to reveal that God's never been the accuser. He's never been the thief that's been stealing from us and killing us because of our sin. God has always been the good Samaritan that when he found us beaten and bloodied and left on the side of the road for dead because of our sin by the serpent, that God came and picked us up and filled us with the wine of his life and made a place for us to dwell in his house for all eternity. God's the good Samaritan. For judgment, Jesus entered into the earth to reveal God is the good Samaritan. And there's Jesus being the good Samaritan because the woman was beaten and bloodied and thrown on the floor at his feet, a sinner. And the people thought God was the one. And Jesus is like, let me show you who God is. And he removes the accusation. And the accusation comes from the serpent. The serpent's the accuser of the brethren, not God. We, but we thought God was the one accusing us all the days. And so Jesus enters in to issue a decree about God. He removes the accusation. He removes the sentence of death that's reigning over the woman. And he stands next to that woman as her advocate. And you know what he tells the whole world right there? God is the advocate of sinners, not the accuser of sinners. God comes and stands next to the sinner and justifies the sinner in the face of the accusation. That's your God. And Jesus continues to build on that because he walks away and they come across the blind guy. Who sinned that this guy should be born blind? This guy or his parents? And again, their mind is that God has made this guy blind. Jesus, when you look at it in the Greek, what he actually says there is that's got nothing to do with why we came across this guy. That question you have ain't got nothing to do with why we come upon this blind guy, but that you might see the glory of God, that you might see into the heart of the Father and how he's the healer of sinners and not the condemner of sinners. And he heals the guy's sight. For judgment, he entered the earth to reveal God as the healer, not as the punisher. Because there was a matter that needed to be decided. We all thought God was the punisher, but he's the healer. You're not coming to the punisher when you need to be healed from sin. We needed a physician when we were dead in sin. And we needed the kind of physician that could revive us back to life. But we didn't see God as the reviver. We didn't see that he would blow the breath of his life into our lungs and revive us back to life. We saw him as the one punishing us for our sin. For judgment, Jesus entered the earth to reveal that God can only ever be good, that God has eternal life in his hand to give, that there's no shadow of turning in God, that only good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights in heaven, of whom First John says that there's no darkness in God, that there's no fear in God. For judgment, Jesus entered the earth to cast the fear we had about being in the presence of God far from us. And we see that he's our advocate. He's the defender of our lives, the defender of our name. He upholds us in the face of accusation. He doesn't come with the accusation. That's why Jesus goes right on to say, right after he heals the blind guy for judgment, he's in the earth. He goes right on to say, it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. Now, why did he have to tell us that? You'd think we would just know. But we didn't know. We thought God was the one stealing from us and killing us and destroying us because of our sin. And so Jesus comes and says, listen, man, it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys from you. I am God. Here I am. And when I am come, I am come to give the abundance of life. 
The kind of life that is so much that it even swallows death. The kind of life that is so much that it'll even remove sin from you as far as the east is from the west, so far away from you that it can't even be seen in you or with you ever again. For judgment I've come into the earth. And really what Jesus was doing is he was a preacher of righteousness. And we want to know what is the message the church has to preach? It's to preach the righteousness. But see, our carnal mind has confused the preaching of righteousness with the preaching of you must act right. That's not the righteousness we're preaching. Jesus was a preacher of God's righteousness towards humans. The message that we have to bring to the world right now, and there's a message the world needs right now because the, the world is suffering at the hands of sin and death right now. They are. And do you know the message they need to hear? The message of God's righteousness towards them in their lives. And so that's what a preacher of righteousness is. And if you go and read Psalm 40, it talks about a preacher of righteousness. And you know what it talks about? A guy who stood up out of the miry clay in the midst of the great congregation to declare the goodness of God to raise us up out of the grave. That's preaching the righteousness of God. That's the righteousness we're preaching, that God is righteous. What does Paul say about righteous? He says some people would die for a righteous guy. Some people would even die for someone who's good. But God demonstrates his love and righteousness towards us in that he would lay down his life for us while we were ungodly. That's the message we have. And so the message we have to preach in the midst of all the hell going on in the world today is that God has heard our cries. He is not indifferent to our suffering. He is not far from us. He entered into a human body and tasted the death that's in this world himself. He knows what this death in the world does to us. He knows the hurt that it brings to us. He is here with us. And the message we should be declaring is that God has heard our cries. He sees that the sting of death fills us with fear and torment and takes us from rest. And he's come into the flesh and absorbed our sin and our death into his own body so he could take the sin and the death that torments us, bring it into the grave and leave it there. And then come out of the grave free from sin and death, never to die again, ascend to the right hand, far above the principalities and powers in this world, and then tell us, this is your life. This is the life I came to give you as a free gift. I came to serve you with this life free from your works. Right? Amen. It's death that's tormenting people right now. It's death that's tormenting the world right now. The fear that we see gripping everybody, it's because of death. And the message we have is that God knows what death is doing to us. And he has not left us in the earth to deal with this death ourselves. He has actually conquered death already inside of the body of Jesus' resurrection. And that's what we need to be declaring to the world now. Not how, well, we've been bad boys and girls and God sent the COVID. Listen, man, God is not the thief. God is not the thief. God is not waiting for us to pray enough so that he can remove the COVID. God came in the person of Jesus and conquered death when no one was praying and no one was believing. We were yet ungodly when God drew near to us and solved our problem. He came and healed us from the sting of death when we didn't even call out to him. And that's the message we have for the world. Instead of telling the world, well, if we repent, God will draw near to us. No, 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 no. The message we have is that God drew near to us when we were yet ungodly. And he drew near to us and solved our death problem. He conquered death in the flesh of Jesus. And he is here to give that life that overcomes death in the flesh free from your works. He's your father. Right? That's the message we have. That's what it means to preach righteousness. You don't preach. You don't tell people how they need to behave right. You tell people about how God behaves right. 
You tell people about a guy whose righteousness is so much that he even loves his enemies. You tell people about a guy that when he was smacked across the cheek, he turned and gave him the other cheek. That's Jesus, isn't it? Isn't that what he did going to the cross? You tell people about a God that when you curse that God, he'll bless you. You tell people about a God that when you despitefully use him and curse God, he will pray for you. You tell people about a God that when you strip that God naked and steal his cloak, that that God is going into heaven to get his cloak also and to clothe you in the robe of his life. Now that kind of love will melt the hearts of people that are suffering. You tell people that are suffering at the hands of death that they need to clothe themselves with life? That's sin, man. That's preaching sin. What was the sin that Adam committed after he ate from the tree? He tried to clothe himself. And now we're going to come and preach to the world that if they can clothe themselves, God will draw near to us and heal us? That's sin, man. We're filling people's hearts with lust. And we're causing people to lust after life through the strength in their own hand. There's only one strength that can deliver us from whatever sin or death or fruit of death we see manifesting in our life. And it's the strength in God's hand. And that's the strength we need to be preaching. Because people can't clothe themselves with life. People can't produce fruit in themselves because people are not the vine. They're the branch. Have you ever tried cutting a branch off of a tree and throwing it on the ground and commanding it to be fruitful? It's not producing fruit, man. It's the vine that produces the fruit. We're the branch. We're not the vine. Let us preach the vine that's full of nutrients so that that vine can produce fruit in people instead of telling the branches they must be fruitful. God promised Abraham he would make Abraham fruitful. He didn't tell Abraham to make himself fruitful. He didn't say, Abe, if you can produce enough good fruit, then you'll be the father of many nations. He said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I am your shield and your buckler. I am your exceeding great reward. Let us tell the people about the inheritance they have stored up for themselves in God. Let us tell them about how God has given everything that's in himself, his whole entire being in life, and he set it up, up for everyone. Come home. Come home to your inheritance. The prodigal son, even though he wasted his inheritance, he took the life that he had from God and he wasted it. When he, he had an inheritance still stored up for him. Come home. That's the message that we have for the world. You're not an orphan. You have a father in heaven whose good pleasure is to serve you with life. You have an inheritance stored up in him. You know, the scripture says that people's names are blotted out of the book of life at the end. It doesn't say they're added in. People's names are in the book of life. Everyone has free access to the tree of life right now. The message we have is you're not an orphan. You have an inheritance. Come home. Come home. There's no punishment for you when you come home. You ain't coming home to be a servant in the house of the Lord. You're coming home to have God serve you by clothing you in the robe of his life and putting his ring on your hand. That's what you have waiting for you. Hallelujah. For judgment, Jesus entered into the earth. That's the judgment. That's what he came to reveal. Judgment to reveal. Reveal God. Jesus goes on to pray in John 17. I have authority over all flesh. I'm the son of man. The other humans can see themselves in my face. Jesus prayed, I pray, Father, that in you raising me from the dead, the other humans will see your goodness towards them. That's why he prayed, that we would see that the Father loves us just as the Father loved Jesus. Well, Jesus looked like the worst kind of sinner when he was nailed to the cross. We thought certainly he was abandoned and left by God. 
Certainly this guy is the cursed of God. Certainly this guy is the worst kind of sinner that ever existed. And then God shows up and picks him up out of the grave. That's supposed to reveal to us the goodness in God's heart towards us when he finds us dead in sin. Because that kind of God, you know what it'll do? It'll put your flesh to rest. And it will cause you to rest in the Father's love for you. And that's where the fruit that we all desire and that we all say is good will come forth. When we're resting in God's love towards us to produce his fruit in us. We all want the fruit. The question is how are we going to get it? And I promise you it ain't by our good works we're going to have the fruit. Otherwise we don't need God. It's by God's good work. That's what the Sabbath was all about. We think the Sabbath was demanding that we rest. No, no, no. Jesus defining the Sabbath says, when the Pharisee says, you're working on the Sabbath. You know what Jesus said? Well, I, I, I read about the, the Sabbath in the law, and I see the Sabbath speaks of the work the Father will do. And that puts you to rest. When you see the work the Father has done, when you see that the Father has taken it upon himself to work his life into you, that will put you to rest. Your flesh will go to rest. You know what caused the works of the flesh to come out of us? When we enlist our own members trying to attain to life. Because within this flesh is not the ability to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so if I put this flesh to work, trying to heap unto myself the life of God, all I'm going to get is the works of the flesh. And so God says the answer to heal them from the works of the flesh is if I come and do a work in their midst, the likes of which they will never believe, because they never believe that I can conquer death in the flesh. And I'll come and do that work in their midst. I'll conquer the death that's tormenting them. And when they see the strength in my hand to conquer death, they will be put to rest. And then their flesh will no longer be made available for the works of the flesh. And in their flesh being put to rest, the fruit of the Spirit will come pouring out of them. Oh, hallelujah. And then they'll know what we feel. They'll know the life that we're experiencing every day. A life filled with peace and love and joy and kindness and meekness. And not only that, they'll know that they didn't produce that. It's like the parable of the sower sowing the seed. The guy goes to bed day and night, day and night, and he doesn't see a crop. And then he wakes up one day, and he's got a huge, gigantic crop, and he doesn't know how it got there. You know why he didn't know how it got there? Because he's not the one that cultivated it. Right? I'm telling you, you really enjoy the fruit of the Spirit when you wake up one day, and you just see it everywhere. And you're like, how did this get here? How am I free? Lord, I've been wanting to be free for decades. All of a sudden, I'm free. All of a sudden, it fell off of me. How did this happen? That's when you glorify God. Because what it means to glorify God is to point to Him as the one who did it by His doing and not by your doing. And what that does is it animates God in the midst of the people. And the people see, God is with me to serve me with life. God is not with me demanding that I serve Him with life. God who needs nothing is demanding us to serve Him with life. No, man, when Peter tried to wash Jesus' feet, Jesus rebuked him. Jesus is God. That's the gospel of John. Certainly the lesser is blessed by the greater. God did not come for us to serve him in the sense that we define service. He came to serve us. It says God prepares a table for us. It doesn't say God demands that we prepare a table for him. And then he comes and sits down and we wait on him. No, no, no. You can't see that in the prodigal son parable. God serves us, man, and that will offend your mind. I know, it offended mine. It will, because it sounds wrong, because we know God's so glorious. We know he's so beautiful. How can we say that God will serve us? Well, Jesus says the first will be last, and the last will be first. We don't understand what makes God glorious. What makes God glorious is that he serves. 
<laughs> and the reason why we don't find that same thing happening naturally in us, because we preach him as one who wants to be served instead of one who serves. If you want the servant heart to be born in people, then preach the God who serves. And they'll find that God filling people with the, his strength to serve. Right? That could go on forever, but I think we'll, I'll cut it off there. Give me credit for the first time after that I'm preaching. Yeah. Hey, man, no. If anything good thing comes out of my mouth, it's God. I frustrate people. Because no, no, no. I mean, in a good way. No, in a good way. We we gotten so caught in an intellectualism, in in the American church, the Western church society. We it's turned so much into an intellectual thing. And I don't. I'm not saying you can't understand things, but we gotten so caught up in trying to understand with our intellects that we've forgotten that God speaks to the heart. And after you get a revelation in your heart, then it seeps up to the intellect, and then you begin to be able. Oh, let me. I can explain it now. Right. Um, and so I think that one of the ways God manifests in me is to convince people, put your pen down, put your paper down. In Tulsa, I had a young uh, youth pastor come in there with his notepad and his pen. And I didn't say anything to him when he first walked in. But I thought in my head, this guy is not going to be taking notes. And he stopped 10 minutes in and he looked a little like anxious at first. And then next he was just smiling and watching and afterwards he came up to me he said i started trying to take notes and he said my hands started shaking and i almost started feeling like i was being overcome by some kind of spirit he said and then all of a sudden i just heard god say put the pen down and he said uh, and said all of a sudden he's like i could just hear and the guy was overcome with joy right but if you that's not to say it's evil to take notes don't hear what i'm saying with the carnal mind right there's always a place and you can come back in a different time and some people, what they've told me is on YouTube, you can slow me down to half speed and a, and a quarter speed. And like some ministers that are, that are trying to, they want to put this stuff down and then pray with the Lord about it. They slow me down to like half and point twenty-five. <laughs> they get the notes down. It usually takes me four hours to go through one of his messages. Because, I mean, the whole time it's just like things are just coming. And a lot of times, a lot of times with honestly, I haven't shared with you, but uh, with you, it's like it's like the flint that ignites the timber, the fire, because I can turn you on for like just a few seconds, and all of a sudden, whoosh, Holy Spirit just takes over, and I'm just getting uploaded. Glory to God. So that's 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 how you know it's the Spirit of Life. You know, it's not from the flesh; it's the Spirit of Life that's bringing in your heart into rest and bringing. Uh, true life to you, serving you with life, just like you said. And that's what he said in this scripture. He, he said that those who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. You know? And the judgment he came to bring was the judgment of the Father, the decree of the Father towards us. You know, that we've always been loved. We've always been loved. You know, that we, he, we've, we've never been what we thought we were or we thought even God and I said this the other day I might have heard it but I said you know I'm sure glad that I don't believe in the God that I used to 
believe. Okay? The God of, of punishment, the God that's after me, out to get me. You know? Uh, yeah, he's been pursuing us. Pursuing us with his love. You know, to reconcile us back to himself. And uh, Christ did that. Mm. He accomplished that, right? So, excellent word. Real, real, real quick, I want to add yeah. this on the end in case anybody's wondering. <coughs> You might say to me, well, then doesn't Jesus then say to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more? Mm. Well, we read our own definition in that word sin there. That word sin's a noun, not a verb. Mm. And it's no accident that it was adultery she was caught in. If you read in the Old Testament, it talks about it, Israel committing adultery on God. And it wasn't talking about them physically laying with somebody. It was talking about them not believing in God's goodness towards them to serve them with life. And if you keep reading in the Gospel of John, you get to John 16. Jesus defines sin as unbelief in God's righteousness. And so when Jesus tells the woman to go and sin no more, what he's saying to her is, I have just revealed that you have a father. And I have revealed to you that you're not an orphan and that God's good pleasure is to serve you with his life and he will justify you. Go and no longer live in the earth as if you're an orphan without a father who will serve you with life. Go and no longer live in the earth as if the father is the thief that steals and kills and destroys. Go and no longer live in the earth in unbelief of God's goodness towards you. Remember me and remember how I come and remove the accusation. Remember me how I remove the sentence of condemnation and go and no longer see God as the punisher instead of the healer. Go and no longer see God as the accuser instead of the justifier. Go and know God as Abba from this day forward and you will be healed from the works of the flesh and the sin that has manifested in your life. Exactly. Right? That's it. Mm. Anybody else have anything? We have this little microphone. Anybody else got anything? Good work. Amen. I just got my real medal just now. Okay. So Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> good to have you. It was good meeting you, man. Good to meet you. Yeah. Good to have you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you, brother. Yeah, it was good meeting you. We'll see you again. Yes, sir. All right. This has been good, huh? Good. Full meal deal. <laughs> thank you, brother. No, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Hey, Michael, let's close this in a word of prayer. Hey, give him the mic so it's going to come through the yeah, prayer. Forget that. Just hold that it somewhere. Yeah, that's a mic. That's the mic. That's the mic. Amen. Just, Amen. Oh, let me turn this off. I just want to say the, that the grace 